Colossians 1, 9 and 10. A while ago, as we anticipated this special day of dedicating our new building, the Discipleship Center, I considered doing a special message about how God supplied so that we could enjoy this building. At the same time, I was preparing this series of studies on Colossians, and I noticed uh, that the particular passage we're studying today would converge on this day. And I thought, actually, it's the most appropriate thing we could look at today, because it focuses not on how God provided this uh, special new facility, but why he did We call it the Discipleship Center because Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19. That's our task. Making disciples. A disciple is simply a follower of someone. In the context of the New Testament, a follower of Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus Christ begins uh, with a journey at the cross where we must put our faith in Christ for eternal salvation, and then he is indeed worthy that we would follow him, we would obey him, we would serve him. We would try to have an impact sharing that message with others. We would seek to make disciples who make disciples. As we come to this passage in Colossians 1, uh, we see that the Apostle Paul had discipleship on his mind. He's writing to a church in that uh, ancient city, first century, of Colossae, and uh, people he had not personally met, but he writes to them to encourage them by telling them how he prays for them. If, If someone could hear you pray in private, they would know what's most important to you, because you pray about that which really matters to you. We get to hear the Apostle Paul pray, We find out what's important to him, and so because it's our inspired scripture, we find out what's important, period. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 are just the first part of his prayer. Uh, The Apostle Paul often speaks and prays in very long sentences, and so we're going to be seeing today the first three of some five prayer requests that he is revealing he prays for them, and then we'll uh, kind of press pause at the end of this message, and when I get back, I'll finish the sentence of uh, Paul and the rest of his prayer. For this reason, verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, you Christians there in Colossae, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God, here's number one, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Number two, and we pray that we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. And three, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. First of all, realize this is a prayer. Don't don't avoid the the obvious. How are disciples made? Is it by harassing and guilting one another to be better people and uh, do more church stuff? We pray that God would do the work of 
discipleship. It's, it's a God thing from start to finish. That's why he is praying. So are we praying this for others? Are we praying this for ourselves? Are we asking people to pray for us in regards to knowing God's will, living worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him, bearing fruit, multiplying our lives? Is this what we want? Because then if, if it's what we want, it's what we'll pray about. Many of you I know are, are, are praying for me as I go to surgery uh, tomorrow. And I really appreciate that. We can pray about everything. Um, we pray that the surgeon has wisdom and, and skill. We pray for, for healing. I, my surgeon happens to be a Steelers fan. And so I was going to ask you to pray that the Steelers win today. And then I saw that they actually played on Thursday and had a terrible loss. Pray that he is over it. Okay. We pray for surgeries, we pray for finances. We pray. Would would you pray that I would become a more effective follower of Christ because of whatever he brings us brings me through. We pray for what's most important. We we usually pray for that which is most important to us. Will we pray for that which is most important to God about us? To be filled with the knowledge of his will. To live a life worthy and to bear fruit. These three prayers I want to use to kind of force us to ask three questions. They're listed in your bulletin outline, but do I get it? Do I get it? What is God's will? What is he doing? Do I get it? Do I live it? And then... Do I influence others to multiply that which God is doing in me? Filled with the knowledge of His will. God's will is His desires, His wishes, His inclinations. In other words, we're trying to get into God's mind, what does God want? I don't think he's referring here to God's will for you personally, your finances, health, children, those kind of things. But rather that we be filled with the knowledge of His will, what He's really doing Everywhere, always, what does God want? And we get some clues, actually, I think, in the first chapter, when we continue this study, we'll, we'll see, like, in verse uh, 17 and 18, he is supreme in the church. So is he really in control of what we do as a, as a church? He is supreme in the church. We see in verse 20, he is reconciling people to himself. Eternal salvation is part of his, his will. That's what's happening today as people are coming to faith in Christ. In verses 28 and 29, we're, we're supposed to teach and admonish one another that we would grow spiritually mature. We know what God's will is to be supreme in the church and be in control and to reconcile people and that we would mature. Do we get it? Do we, do we understand that which is most important to God? Have they become my purposes? Or do I mostly think about and pray about what's good for me? I, Paul, as he writes this, he knows he's writing to just normal people like, like us here in Ozaki County. He goes to a church in Colossae, and it, 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 it's every town. In, as that letter of Paul is read in the, in, the, in the Colossian church meeting, there'll be a mom with four or five kids and they play in the street and they bother her in the house while she's trying to make dinner. 
Louis read to some, some men who spend every day out in the fields outside of Colossae. And they've got a pair of oxen that's getting older and slower, and they don't know how they're going to afford another pair. He's going to be talking to some young men and some young women who, as they walk through the marketplace, they are scanning for that attractive one that they are just absolutely sure would make them forever happy. And he knows they're going to pray about those things. We're supposed to pray about everything. We're supposed to pray you know, about our, our financial needs and our kids. And we, we, we pray for our futures. And some are exciting things and some are difficult things. We pray about everything. But do we pray that God would fill us with the knowledge of His will? That we would adopt His mindset about being, being mature personally and, and healthy as a church and reaching people with the gospel? The only way we will have that, it says, is through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we will be filled with the knowledge of His will. How? Through the spiritual wisdom and understanding we get. Where do we get spiritual wisdom and understanding? The word spiritual comes, it's the same word as the Spirit. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. So these will be supernatural changes to our priorities. We will never alter our priorities just thinking normal thoughts. It's only as we give God permission to alter our priorities that we will adopt His view of the world. Because we will otherwise naturally only value that which we naturally value, and we naturally value usually that which is... We gather it from what's going on around us. The voices we hear, whether it's uh, in a classroom, over lunch with a friend, a book, a movie... It's all these different things. And they may or may not be voices that are expressing spiritual wisdom and understanding. We'll need the Spirit for that. So, do I get it? Do I, do, do have I adopted God's priorities? The reason God has provided these new classrooms and places to drink coffee and places for fellowship meals is so that at least once or twice, maybe a week, we will immerse ourselves in the will of God. Because we're taking in the Word of God, and then God is going to illustrate what's in His Word and accent it as we intersect our lives with other believers who are also trying to pursue the will of God for, for their purposes in their life. Do we get it? It's not enough to get it. We have to live it. And so Paul says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Uh, literally, the term, as some of you have it in your Bible translation, is that you would walk worthy because, because that's the metaphor. A life of following Christ is continual, daily, hourly, step by step, Will we live differently because we have embraced the world, the, God's worldview? We will otherwise be very similar to our neighbors. We'll live in the same kind of houses, drive the same cars, wear the same fashion, work in the same places, take our kids to the same activities. But this is a call to be otherwise radically different because our purposes are different. We see God's will, and we are living worthy, it says, of the Lord. And the Lord, in, in the book of Colossians, is a specific reference to Jesus Christ, our 
Lord. So it's, it's a focus on the cross and on Christ throughout the book of, of Colossians. Live worthy of Jesus. That's an incredibly tall order. Living worthy of Jesus does not mean that we will become worthy of Jesus. The worth here is that the worth of Jesus, not the worth of us. We are seeking to live in some way worthy, reflecting the worth of Jesus. Something we can never completely ever do. But what does he deserve? When you go to a birthday party for your mom and bring her a card, there is no way you are going to repay her for the agony of childbirth, the sleep that she lost when you were a baby, and when she was waiting for you to, your car to arrive in the driveway again. You, you can't repay that stuff. You simply tell her how much you appreciate her. And you would live and, 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 and respond in some, you know, yes, it's probably token way in which you can appreciate that. And he, he's calling us to live a life that reflects this incredible gratitude. It'll take a refocusing so that we wake up each morning intentionally remind ourselves somehow through his word as he speaks to us, through prayer as we speak to him, or maybe worship music or something where we... We realign our, our thoughts so that we would that day have a different attitude, a different grace towards others, a different uh, strength in pursuing purity, a, a generous spirit, that all these things would, we would seek to live worthy and please Him in every way. These are not different things, it's the same thing. Living worthy is what pleases Him. It, it's an it's a amazing thing to think that our life affects Jesus Christ, our Savior. That our life actually brings Him joy. We understand it at work, that if we work well, our boss is pleased. We can, we can give our boss a better day. You can please your parents and give them a, a better day. Now, I don't think Jesus has any bad days. But to think... We can bring him pleasure. It, it's, a, it's the highest calling we could imagine. And it transforms how we go about life. It gives us a different attitude at, at our regular work. In fact, it's not surprising later on in Colossians 3, verse 24, when we get to you know, you know, how, how God trans, Christ will transform our work life, it says, at our jobs, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. See how that changed the way, he said, this will change the way you go to work. Because I'm going to, to work to please Christ. It will change the way you, 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 you live in your marriage. He wrote to the Colossians and, well, to Ephesians specifically, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. So that the reason we would sacrificially love an imperfect person that's in our life forever is because we are doing it to please Christ. And it, it totally changes our mindset. As we dedicate this building to God, it is so that we can encourage one another 
to be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we would live differently, live worthy in a way that would please Him. And praise that these Christians in little Colossae, little city, would get it, get the picture of God's true priorities and then, then they would live it, it would transform their life. But that wasn't the end of the story. The third prayer request tells us that this is a long-term view of a life of discipleship. Middle of verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. Those are inseparably paired. If you are growing, you bear fruit as a plant. If a plant is bearing fruit, it's because it's growing. So as you grow in your knowledge of God, it would be inescapable that you would be bearing fruit, impacting others. So are you impacting, are you influencing others? As Chris mentioned, as we launched the, the project, we chose this little term, multiply. And we've had this banner, uh, we put it back up for this week, but this banner has been up for uh, most of the campaign. Pray the Lord will multiply his disciples for his glory. That's like the long version. That's something that, that, that can last till Christ comes back for us if our lives is bearing fruit in others. It says bear fruit in every good work. That's a very general expression of the way our salvation is to impact us, is us is that we should bear fruit in every good thing we do. He doesn't define it for us. He doesn't list, here's all the things you should be doing. Uh, it's like he says, bear fruit in every good work. Figure it out. What gifts, abilities, spiritual gifts, talents, resources do you have? What, uh, what has God given you in terms of opportunities? Who are the people you know? Figure out what good works He has in mind for you. Jump into the deep end. Start serving. Meet needs you know about. Listen to the, to the Spirit of God within you. Listen to the people of God around you in the body of Christ. And you will figure out how God wants you to serve him. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit and making disciples are, are really synonymous phrases. Jesus used that metaphor so well in John 15 as he talked about his plan for us. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine is where it all happens. It's where all the power comes through and it results in fruit. Branches that create other branches that create fruit that has seeds that, ha that creates more fruit. And it only happens as and if we abide in him. To abide and we studied that not too long ago, is about our relationship with him, to stay close with him, to stay in, in communication with him, to learn from him, respond to him, 
It's all the things that happen uh, silently and unseen. And then he says, you'll bear much fruit. But if you don't do that, you got nothing. (laughs) A few verses later, if you abide in me and my words, this is where we get it, abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Blank checks from God. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does that tell you about the blank check? We pray about disciple making. We pray about bearing fruit. And then the checkbook is opened. You can't use the company paycheck for stuff you want. Or the checkbook. You use the company checkbook for what the company wants. And then, and then God says, I want to do that too. I want to bear fruit through you. Later in the same chapter, I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. This is lasting, eternal stuff. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see the connection between prayer and fruit bearing. It's what Paul says, I want you to pray for. Bearing fruit. That's praying the right stuff. Because you have the right goals. Am I influencing others? That's fruit. Or is, is church kind of like my membership at the Y? I admit that I go to the Y pretty much about myself. I go for my exercise and my goals. When I'm on the treadmill... You don't hear me saying to the guy next to me, come on, come on, you can go, come on, higher, bigger incline, go more, you can be, will you be here again Monday? It's just kind of awkward at the Y to do that. So I pretty much go for me. I enjoy meeting some people and talking, but is that how church seems like to you? That you come here for, for this is, this is what I need? And I'll come as often as I think I need it because I want to meet my spiritual needs. Because the church actually isn't designed that way. It's designed that as we're beside somebody else, we do say, come on, you can do this. Here, try this. I think God can use you to use this, to do this. And, 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 and will you be here next? I missed you last Sunday. And we are there to encourage one another. Who are you influencing? A couple ideas of what bearing fruit is about. Who am I seeking to reach with the good news of Jesus? Who, who do you pray for that needs to know? Who am I helping in some practical, physical way? Is, are, are you marked by service? A willingness. Oh, can I help you with that? Who am I praying for that's struggling spiritually? A lot of people are struggling spiritually that are believers in Christ. They need encouragement. Who am I encouraging or cheering for to grow spiritually? Someone who's doing well? So we aren't really worried about them and we stop praying for them. <laughs> we stop encouraging them. But we want, to, we want to see them grow more. Who am I teaching? Sharing with as God teaches me in his word. Teaching isn't always a public up front thing. It might be a fourth grade class. It might be 
the, the children that are growing up in your home. It, it, it's a lot of things, but is it normal for you to share something God is teaching you? Who am I supporting regularly with my finances who's making disciples? Because I have the worldview of, of God, and so that's where I invest. And then finally, who am I encouraging that is effective in making disciples? I see someone that is, is, is accomplishing disciple-making in ways that probably you can't. We're all different. And so you, you don't see that as, as competition. You see that as somebody you can encourage who can do something that you cannot. Bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. If we're serving, it's because we know God better. If we know God better, we will serve. If you're growing strong spiritually, those muscles need exercise in fruit-bearing. So it's a privilege to, uh, this morning, dedicate a building that's devoted to those purposes. A while back, uh, my son-in-law, Evan, recommended a book to me. I was captivated by the title, and I'm partly through reading it now. The book's called The Trellis and the Vine. The Trellis and the Vine. It's It's a book about church and uh, ministry. Um, but the metaphor is so powerful. He compares the, um, the church to a trellis. A, the church has a structure. We have an organizational chart. There are there's membership, there's staff, there's budget, there's equipment, programs, schedules. And a building. That's all trellis. Right? That's our trellis at our house. Isn't that beautiful? That is one impressive trellis. We got it at Home Depot. But that's not really accomplishing its purpose. Right there, is it? Because a trellis is simply a structure that is meant to hold up the vine and create beauty. A trellis is in the background and what the vine produces is in the foreground. We have just spent four years and over a million dollars on a trellis. I really like our trellis. It's fun to walk through the trellis. But we must never forget that we are dedicating it to the vine. And Christ is the vine. We are the branches. And he has called us to bear fruit. And so I'm so grateful for the trellis. I'm grateful that uh, you prayed and you gave and so many people were involved in so many ways. But... And it's just a building. But inside of it, God wants to use it to make disciples for His glory. At this point, we're going to pray together to close this portion of the service. And then uh, I'm going to direct your attention. Seth in the back will give you...
directions to go as we go to the Discipleship Center and, and uh, have a... Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you've given us. It is uh, a, a joy to to see a church family come together in unity and, and uh, desire to do something that takes sacrifice, takes personal investment and involvement and prayer and dependence and to be overwhelmed at times and then to see how you faithfully come through and, and provide something tangible like this. But may we never forget, our Lord, that you are the vine, we are the branches, and that you want to create and multiply fruit that will last. And so we do indeed dedicate this new part of our facility as a gift from you and for your purpose of making disciples. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.